0: Why I Need Church. Pretty interesting title, right? It doesn't have a question mark after it. It's a statement. Why I need church. Why you need church. Why I need church. And so that's kind of what we're going to walk down through today in uh, this, uh, this topic. I, I was, uh, I'm liking this message to a, uh, I call it a sandwich message. Not that it's going to be a light meal. But I'm sandwiched between two guest speakers, and last week was powerful with uh, Harold Eberly with us, talking about the gospel according to chairs, and if you're like, what is that? You need to go watch it, because it's really, really powerful, and the next week we have Ron and Bonnie coming, I'm anticipating them, uh, and what the, and the message the Lord will share to this body through them, really, really excited about having you uh, meet them, if you've not met them before, and uh, the message that they will share, so that's coming up, with that, that's coming up the... Next week, and so here we are, sandwiched in between, in between this uh, today's message. Um, I finished up a discipleship book that's coming out to print here soon. I went and, and, and uh, printed one final copy. It got lost in the mail, so I don't know where it's at. We'll have to start again. But I have one chapter about the local church being your family, and I ask this question. I say what was your perception of the church before you became a Christian or before you became a follower of Jesus? How did you view the church? What did you think about the church? And then I say, after you became a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and you became a part of a local church, a local body, did your perception change? Is it different now that you're a part of the body of Christ? Or maybe... Uh, the same, maybe better, maybe worse. Ooh, hate to say that. It's possible at times. But I ask that question: What was it like before you became a follower of Jesus, and what was it like after you became a follower of Jesus? Interesting question to ponder as you think about that. Well, today we're going to look at uh, Hebrews chapter 10, that kind of walks us through some realities of of what it's like to to uh, know the risen Christ. And then uh, what action that we take as a result of that. And so that's what we're going to uh, look at today. I've heard people say they hate organized religion. And uh, my usual answer to that when I hear it is, you'll like our church because we're as disorganized as they come. <laughs> I'm not sure that's what they had in mind, but certainly a good comeback. Let's check out Hebrews chapter 10, verse, starting at verse 19. Therefore, brethren... Since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let, us not, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. There's several things that I want to highlight in the beginning of this passage until we get to the action part that has to do with the body that relates to the title of the message. And the first thing that I note there is it says, Since We Have. Very important. When you talk about a message of the body of Christ, you first start about what we have in Christ. And it starts out two different times, the writer says, Since We Have. And he writes and he says in verse 19 and 20, he says, Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way. So the first thing that's brought out there is that because Jesus rose from the dead, we now have a confidence to enter the most holy place, the presence of God, without shame Uh, entering this, this place where God meets with us and we meet with him, that we have fellowship together and we come out with God's action plan about our meeting together, that we have confidence to enter. You see, in the Old Testament, when the high priest once a year went into the Holy of Holies, that was that place where God literally says, I dwell on earth. And the high priest went in there once a year, and he went in basically carrying blood of animals. And he would sprinkle that on the mercy seat there in the Holy of Holies. But as he went in, he went in with fear and trembling. He was afraid because he needed to confess his own sins. Maybe he had forgotten one. Maybe he thought that one didn't matter and so he didn't bring it before the Lord. And so he went into that place knowing that if he had missed one or overlooked one that God could radically strike him dead and he would need to be pulled out by a rope around his ankle. And so he went in with fear and trembling much in the same way that I did when I was a teenager coming home late at night. I would walk through the house in fear and trembling, hoping that my parents wouldn't wake up. The Old Testament priests, they would go into this Holy of Holies. The, the priest wasn't carrying his own blood. He was carrying the blood of an unblemished animal. And so it wasn't necessarily personal with him, but it, uh, it was also very personal in the sense that he went on not only for himself, but also for the sins of the people that once a year they would go in and they would absolve the sins of the people. And so it was a, was a, a very intense moment. And as he went in, he went in with fear and trembling. But the writer begins to say that that's not how we go in. We don't go in with fear and trembling, but we go in with confidence and faith. He calls it a new and living way. We don't go in carrying the blood of animals anymore because Jesus offered his own blood that we enter in by faith in him of what he did for us. And so we don't go in with fear and trembling anymore. We go in with confidence. We go in with anticipation. We go in with expectation of meeting with God and being in his presence. Is that how you approach God? That's the question. Because sometimes we can grow up with this Old Testament mentality that that God is holy and he's looking for the first opportunity to strike us dead. But that's not how he operates, as so illustrated by last Sunday in the Gospel of Chairs. He's a loving Heavenly Father, not a righteous judge, even though he will judge. But that's not his prominence. He's a loving Heavenly Father. And so the writer says that we need to approach God's presence with confidence. It's a new and living way. We enter by faith, not with blood anymore, because he shed his blood and so it's an exciting way to go in to meet with God. The next thing that we find is that we meet Jesus, the, our High Priest there, that He mediates over the body of Christ. He's the one that goes to the Father when when we're in process, and He tells us, "Hey." yes, they they messed up here, they don't understand this there, but I'm covering them until they see it, until they make it right. Jesus is that kind of gracious high priest for us. But it says that he's not just a high priest for himself. It says he's a high priest over the house of God. I think that's significant because it's not just an individual thing that Jesus did. He did it for a whole house. He did it for a whole family. He did it for a whole body, not just individuals. And sometimes in our American Western culture, we all make it about the individual. But God is not just an individual God. He is a family God. He is a house God. He watches over the house of God, not just the individuals of God. And that's very, very important for us to understand. And so in light of that, then God says, I want you to take action. I want you to take action in your life in light of the fact that you can enter the holy of holies, the most holy place where God is at, and you can do so with confidence, boldness, and assurance. It's the new and living way by faith. And as a result of knowing that, now I want you to take some action. And here's the things that he suggests that we we take. He says that we, then, are to draw near to God, verse 22. He said, let us draw near to God. Now, there's a very popular thought today in the modern church, and that is that God is chasing after us. That kind of is exemplified in the song Reckless Love. And we sang the song here, and yet I recognize that the theology of that song is meant Not necessarily for believers, but for unbelievers. In other words, if you are not following Jesus, he is pursuing you. He is pursuing the lost sheep. He is turning on the lights to find the lost coin. He is going after the lost son in order for him to come to his senses, to come back to his heavenly father. If you are lost, you should be singing that song because God is pursuing you. But after you are saved, we pursue him. He doesn't pursue us. We pursue him, and as a result of us pursuing him, he draws close to us. And yet there's a popular thought of, oh, I'm not feeling it today. I'm not feeling God pursuing me, therefore I won't pursue him. And that's unbiblical. In fact, I would even dare to say that's demonic. That we don't pursue God, that it's all about him pursuing us. No, he pursues us, we make him Lord, and we pursue him. Much like a a relationship between boyfriend and girlfriend, Wouldn't it be odd if one is pursuing the other and the other is not pursuing that relationship? That wouldn't go anywhere, would it? That's the recipe for a breakup, right? But no, that's not how it happens. When you have two people in love, they're pursuing each other. They're staying up late at night. They're texting each other. They're talking when they can. They're even sitting in the same row together texting each other rather than talking. I don't get that, but, you know, that's just what's happening today. But they're pursuing one another, and if one is not pursuing the other, we would think, that's crazy. They're not in love. What are they doing? Playing hard to get? Well, that's not going to help their relationship. And so with us, when we understand the fullness of what Jesus has given us, we should not hesitate but pursue him. And as a result, he comes and draws near to us. So sometimes these theologies creep into the church, and we just have to step in sometimes and, and, and uh, qualify them and bring some understanding. As we look at these, this uh, uh, action that we need to take, that uh, first of all, we found that we need to draw near to him with a sincere heart. The next thing is to hold unapologetically to our faith. The word that I used in my translation was unswervingly hold to the faith. You know, it's kind of like a driving analogy. You're driving down the road and you see something in front of you and what do you do? You swerve. You like, and in that swerving, sometimes people have accidents. They flipped the car. They were trying to miss something, and instead they flipped the car. Well, the reality of that, it says that we're supposed to, as God's people, we're supposed to, when something's in front of us, not necessarily swerve, but actually pray and say, God, whatever barrier's in front of me, you're going to take me through this. Because if you begin to swerve in your faith, you're going to end up in the ditch. You're going to end up crashing instead of barreling straight through and trusting God that he is going to make you through the obstacle that's in front of you. And so God's presence is really, really important for us to embrace and to have as we move through. I was listening to Mario Murillo yesterday. I don't know if you know that name. If you don't know that name, that's fine. And um, he was was talking about um, something that he feels like is missing in a lot of the American church, and that is simply the presence of God. It's something that we value here at Crossroads. Not saying other churches don't have, but we just value the presence of God. And, and uh, he went on to, to talk about uh, Caleb in the Old Testament. Caleb and Joshua were cohorts together, and, and Moses had sent them out to spy in the land that God said, I promised you. And, and, and those two guys went out along with, with the, other, the other 10, other ten. And Joshua and Caleb were the only ones that came back and said, we can do this. Our God is greater. He's bigger. The giants are huge, but we can do this. Those two guys together and the other ten said, uh, no, it won't work. We need to run the other way. It's just not going to work. And, and obviously, uh, you know the rest of the story. They journeyed for 40 years in order to take those unbelieving people and let them die off naturally and take a believing generation into the promised land. But Mario gave this verse. I know I've read it before, but he just brought new light. And it's really Caleb talking. And here's what he says. He's giving his report back. He says, Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will swallow them up. And there's this phrase. He says, Their protection is gone. But the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid. He says the protection of the enemy is gone because God's presence is with us. That's a very, very cool concept because the enemy tries to make us grab hold of things that actually serve as a protection for us. And they said, we're going to take care of you, whether it's finances or whether it's drugs or whether it's, you know, relationships or, 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 or you know, workaholic, whatever. It, the enemy comes and tries to, to come around us and say, this is your protection for a good life. And, as, and Caleb says that when we go in, whatever giants are there, whatever enemies there, they're going to lose their protection so that the presence of God can come in and take the land and the promise that we get. What an amazing concept, that when God is present, that suddenly people begin to believe like addicts believe, wow, I could, I could get free, or people that have long-term illnesses say, wow, I could, God could heal me, or broken relationships. People say, you know what, I think God can take them through that. That's evidence of the presence of God in our midst when people begin to think that way. And they come in with these protections of thinking that nothing can move and it'll all be the way it is. And suddenly there's faith that gets infused when God's people gather and suddenly they realize, you know what, maybe it could be different. And they take hope. And I, I, really, I really love that uh, that analogy that he gave and, and it was really a, a, a powerful one to me. You know, it's really, really important as as you look at the early church, to realize that they were led by the Holy Spirit. They were led by the Holy Spirit. It didn't that they didn't have leadership. They did, but the leadership sought the Holy Spirit in order to be led. It wasn't about theology. It wasn't about church growth techniques, but they really sought the Lord in order to, order to be led. And, and Maury was saying that, you know, a lot of times that's just missing today in today's church. And again, it's, it's something that, uh, that, you know, we have a level of that, but I want more. I want, I want to be led by the Holy Spirit more. It doesn't mean we throw away structures and, and don't plan, but it's just, what is God saying? Let's move with him. And it, he went on to say that, that uh, you know, the, the Holy Spirit wasn't Jesus' parting gift to the church. He's like, sorry, guys, I got to go. But I'm going to give you a parting gift. It's going to be the Holy Spirit. So when you're weeping and missing me and and wishing I was back here, you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wasn't a party gift. In fact, Jesus went on and he said, guys, this is really the deal. I am holding back the church from actually getting established and growing if I stay here. That's what he said. He said, I need to leave because... When I go to the place that I'm supposed to be at the right hand of the Father, then the Holy Spirit can come and take his place where he's supposed to be. Then every one of you filled with the Holy Spirit will take your place and advance the kingdom of God in this world. That's how it works. Jesus had to take his place. It wasn't second best. It was the, the way the Father prescribed so that the Holy Spirit could come and fill our lives and empower us so that we could take our place and establish and advance the kingdom of God here on earth. Very powerful concept to understand of how God designed it. And then he goes on to say that we're supposed to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. I don't know if you're a horse person or not, i ridden horses in my day, owned a few, but i never had spurs. I guess my horses cooperated without them. And uh, there's probably some that would say they're not needed. But again, it uses the analogy here that we're supposed to spur one another on to love and good deeds. We're supposed to go, ouch, why aren't you more loving? And so we have this analogy. There's other words that can be used. You can use the word provoke provoke somebody towards love and good deeds. That's uh, another word that's used. What is the church? We're talking about do I need church? What is the church? Really, if you look at the literal definition, it's a gathering with a purpose. A gathering with a purpose. We came here today to worship God. We came here today with a purpose of of hearing the word of God taught. We came here today with a purpose of, of receiving encouragement today. So this gathering has a purpose to it. It's not just, well, let's gather together and see what happens. No, we had an established purpose. And some of those things were what we expected, and others, it could have been surprises. Maybe you came in here and you didn't expect us to pray for healing today, just kind of randomly, so to speak, but God just spoke to me on the front row, said, gave me a few things, that, that uh, word of knowledge, so to speak, gifts of the Holy Spirit, just open, you know, of, of saying this is what the Lord's sharing with and we prayed for healing. Maybe you weren't expecting that, but that's a part of the body of Christ. That should be normal for us when we come in. That we hear God, that he has plans for us, and he wants to see his body made whole. So we're supposed to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. The word actually in the Greek for church is called ekklesia. Kind of an interesting word, ekklesia. And if you study that word out, it actually means a governing body here on earth. Yes, you heard me right, a government a governing body. What is that body supposed to govern? It's supposed to govern the fruit of the Spirit coming out of heaven, filling our lives, spreading that on earth. That's what we're supposed to govern. The gifts and the fruit of the Spirit from heaven. We are to govern that. We're not replacing civil government or, or, or policemen or those. We're not replacing those, but we're influencing the systems and of this world. That's what God's called the local church to do or the, his body together that we're called to govern according to heaven. The last thing that, um, that I have there is to not give up gathering together, but encourage. The writer says that we should not give up gathering together. That's the body of Christ. God is a gathering God. He loves to gather people together. And, and if we have the heart of God, we should not shy away, again, from getting together as God's people because there's something that happens in the midst of that gathering that doesn't happen if we're isolated and separated. We're all together in one place. When you, he says that we're supposed to encourage one another when we gather, not discourage one another. If you think about the the, the add-ons in the front of that word courage is that when you get together, you encourage. In other words, you increase courage. That's the expectation of being together here in the body of Christ, that when you gather, you increase courage, that you take on courage. You walk out of here and you have more courage than when you came in. But he said if we don't meet together, we're going to end up discouraged, separated from courage. And even other people that are encouraged, were are like, ah, I don't know what's the matter with them. They're excited. They're full of joy. I don't know. That's an indication that you're separated from the body of what they are experiencing. So we're supposed to come together. Canada's in the news a lot recently, and I found this clip. Pastor Rene McIntyre, Canadian church, refusing to follow the law of allowing only 10 people to attend, was closed by police. Given Canada's COVID rules, Pastor Renee and the congregation refused to stop worshiping and they met outdoors in the snow with temperatures in the teens, wind chill factors making it worse. Over a year, did the church dwindle? No. They were around 100 when they started that, and when they ended after a year, beating outdoors, meeting in the snow, meeting in a wind chill, they had over 400 people. That 's people recognize that the body of Christ needs to meet together. they need to be in a place where we are uh, together i I sometimes think about the fact of of Christians that live in countries where Christianity is illegal. not just you, you shouldn 't meet but it 's illegal to say as a person that you 're a follower of Jesus Christ, and yet those people with those restrictions hanging over them they declare that they're going to meet anyhow. They meet in secret places with music blasting out front and they're worshiping God in the back. They, they regularly understand as leaders that when they begin to plant their churches that they could be persecuted, tormented, and even killed. And yet that doesn't stop them from meeting. That doesn't stop them from planting churches. And I marvel and say, wow, what do they have that sometimes we're missing? Here in the West, with all our freedoms, living in the land of the free and the brave. And yet sometimes we justify of saying, "Ah, I don't need church. Maybe I can do without it. I read a survey that uh, outlined the top three reasons why people say they don't need church or neglect church, so to speak. I don't know if it connects with you. I'm not sure when it was done, but here's the three reasons. The first one is, I practice my faith in other ways. I don't need church. I practice my faith in other ways. My question is, how's that working for you? Here's the second one. I dislike or can't relate to the gathering format. I don't like the gathering format. Well, if you don't like this one, there's probably one that does work for you. Go find it. And if you can't find it in your area, start one. Guess what? You can do that. It's not hard. It's not simple. Those of you watching online, what a blessing it is to be able to connect with you around the states and even around the world and some. There's regular folks that you tune in and and you connect with our body here. And that's such a a value for us to begin to to offer you. And yet, I would say if you're watching online, grab some family and friends. You know, make it into a Jesus party. Uh, Invite some folks in. Not just watch yourself but invite others in, and therefore you're expanding the body of Christ. Next month, we plan to do a pilot project of starting an online group of those that are watching online. You'll get, you're hearing about this, and uh, reach out to you, or you can reach out to us, and uh, one of our um, uh, uh, one of our members on our elder team is going to facilitate it, and we're starting it next month, so we're we're excited about that, just to see how God might have us steward those that are joining us over the airways, and uh, we believe that God is is doing a new thing. So we want to be able to to work with what He is doing. Here's the third excuse that was found, and that is, I haven't found a church that I like. Huh. We had a family. This was years ago. We had a family that came, and they were well involved and. And uh, then, I'm not sure what happened. They said, you know, we feel like our time's done here. We're going someplace else. I'm like, sure, that's fine. I blessed them. And so they went to that church. And then I heard that they were at a third church. And then uh, after about maybe three or four months, all of a sudden, they're back here again. I'm like, what happened? Tell me about it. What's going on? I love you. You're awesome. And the husband was really open. He said, well, we left here. We went to the next church. And we had problems there. We went to the next church, and we had problems there. And so we came back here, and we determined that the problem wasn't the church. The problem was us. <laughs> I appreciated the honesty. I thought, wow, that's, that's really, really honest. They moved out of state then and, and, and uh, went a different direction. But it's really, really fun that sometimes, you know, we blame uh, the church, so to speak. And in reality, sometimes God needs to do a work in us. We have to recognize that in order to blend in with what, what he is doing. and So you look at those, those three different excuses, and, and uh, maybe you've used those, or maybe you, maybe you are using them now. Uh, the question that I would have you ask God is, does it matter to him whether or not you are in church or not? Does it matter to him? And whatever he says, I'm fine with. If you can authentically say, you know what? doesn't matter to him whether I'm here or there, then, then that's fine. That means if you've heard him accurately, that he's going to bless you. And if you've not heard him accurately, then you're going to experience some things going wrong really quick. I remember a story that uh, was, was a true story. Um, not that my stories are made up. Hopefully you can tell the difference. But um, there was a guy that left a church because of a certain doctrine in a church. He said, I just can't handle that doctrine and he left. And he was gone for about three months, and all of a sudden he came back, and he told the pastor, he said, oh, my goodness, I need to be back here. And he said, why? He said, because when I left this church, my kids went crazy. They, 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 they wouldn't follow my instructions. They became rebellious. They became, he said, I need to be back in church so I'm under authority so that my family can experience peace again. And when we left, everything went awry. Wow. There's something to it. I was having breakfast with somebody yesterday. They didn't grow up in a family and went to church, but they had a neighbor or cousin, I forget which, some family member, and, and they they attached themselves to that other family that was active in church. And he said, because my own family didn't didn't participate in church, but because I was attached to that other family, they really impacted me through my whole life. And he's a Christian, you know, following Christ today because they attached themselves to a family that was active in church. And so that's how, the, the, uh, the, that's how the, uh, uh, the body of Christ works. Sometimes our own immediate family isn't participating, but somebody around us is. And, we, and God attaches us up so that we can move forward with him. I want to I look now, number four, at the realities of church as the body of Christ. If I can do anything this morning, I'd like to change your perception. Maybe if it's just 1%. I think I am probably one or 2% or maybe 5 50 that would be overwhelming 100% that would be uh you get saved all over again if I change your perception 100%. So what is what is what does Jesus really see when he looks at the church? We call the church, what does he see? He really sees his body. I'm I'm going to read from Matthew 16 and Jesus is talking to his disciples, which is really his church at that time. And he asked them this question. He said, who do others say that I am? In other words, he was, he was kind of taking a community survey about what people thought about who he was as a person. And so his disciples right away, they didn't hesitate. They say, well, some people say John the Baptist raised back to life. Some people say Elijah. Some people say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Then Jesus looked at his disciples and said, Okay, that's what they say. But who do you say that I am? Have you settled it? And Peter spoke for the whole group. He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus came back and said, Peter, upon that revelation, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Upon that revelation, I will build my church, and the gates of hell cannot overtake it. Wow upon that revelation. And so he asks us today, if we would ask the communities around us, what, what do you say about the value of church? What would the community say? What would our community say? What's the value of being a part of a local church? What would they say? Interesting question, right? Maybe go to work tomorrow and say, hey, what do you think about the local church? What would people say? And then, but really the ultimate question is, what do do you say? Not what they say, but what do you say about the local church? The value, the need, the necessity of it. And that's what we have to settle. Not what they say, but what I say, what you say. And then based upon that revelation, Jesus said, I'll build my church. I'll use you, imperfect people, walking towards perfection. I'll I'll use you to build the church, and it will be so strong that there's nothing that Satan can use against us that can take us out. Isn't that amazing? And so we have to settle not only who Jesus is, but who the church is. Now, there's a couple of things that I want to say in relation to that. First of all, Jesus is the head, and we fit somewhere in his body. Jesus is the head of the church, and we fit someplace in his body. I've heard people say at times, you know, I I, I really love Jesus, but I can't stand the church. You ever heard that before? I've heard that before. I love Jesus, but I can't stand the church. Maybe this is a little TMI, but what if I would introduce my wife to you up here? She was in first service. But what if I would bring Wanda up here and I would say, Folks, I want you to meet my bride. I'm really in love with her head. I love her eyes. I love her nose. I love her hair. But I can't stand the rest of her body. What would you think about me if I introduced my bride that way? You're like, man... Elders take him out. This guy's delusional, right? I want you to get a picture now of how Jesus sees the church. He says, it's my body. It's my body. And so there, it's, 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 it's just a conflict of interest. <laughs> if you would say, I'm in love with the head, but I can't stand the body. There's something wrong there. Just like I would introduce my wife and say, I'm in love with her head, but I can't stand the rest of her body. That is a horrible thing to say, even to think about, even to say in public. But yet, if we use that kind of language or make that kind of knowledge, that's in essence what we are saying. How did I get that? I got that from the Apostle Paul when he was persecuting Christians. He was on his way to Damascus, and, and as he was, he was walking, suddenly he encountered a power that was greater than the papers that he had in his hand to put Christians in prison. And He paused. And he said, who are you, Lord? Because he knew it was somebody greater than, than the power that he had or thought he had. And, and the voice that came out of that light, by the way, is brighter than the sun. That's what the scripture says. So Jesus is pretty bright. It says, who are you, Lord? And Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He did not say, I am Jesus and you are persecuting my church. He said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Wow. That's why I tread very lightly on what I might say about other churches. Because I am speaking for or against the body of Christ. It's not an organization. It's the body of Christ here on earth. I might not like their format. I might not like their vision. I might not like their personality. But unless they're blatantly in sin, opposing the word of God, I honor the body of Christ. Because that's what they are. That's what Jesus says. Let me give you some scriptures here. It talks about Jesus being the head in Ephesians 4, 15, and 16. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we grow and become uh, in, in every respect mature body of him who is head. That is Christ. From him, meaning Jesus the head, the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament. grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So we have a place in the body of Christ. We need to find that place. We need to fit into that place and grow in that place. Here's another one out of Colossians 1.18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead so that in everything he might have supremacy. Here's a couple of verses about the body. 1 Corinthians 12.27. You might have 28, but it's 27. Now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. You are the body of Christ, and each one is a part of it. If you name the name of Jesus, and then a final one out of Revelation chapter—I mean, sorry, Romans chapter 12. So in Christ, though we are many, form one body, and each member belongs to the others. Jesus is the head of his church, and we are a part of his body. Here's a couple of things. Uh, 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 another another aspect about him being the head and we the body. You must be attached in order to receive and give. If you're not attached, then you're not going to receive and give in the same way. I, I tried this out in the first service and uh, people got a little bit wigged out, but we're just going to go again. What if I took a hatchet and I cut off my hand right here at the... Joint and it popped off. How long would it be for this hand that I just cut off? How long could I go that it would still be living, that I could reattach it and it would still work? Would it be minutes? Would it be hours? Would it be days? Could I go several days? attached and it would still work. All right, some of you are starting to shake your head like, no, can't go that far. Yeah, it's happened to people. You know, they've had accidents, they cut a finger off, whatever, and gathered it up and gone to the hospital and put it back on, and they got their finger today. There was life in that limb for a period of time. But there was only a period of time until it couldn't be reattached. It couldn't be used anymore. Now, I understand that all analogies kind of fall flat for a while, but you get the point. The point is that in order to receive from the head and give according to the gifts and ability that God has put in it, we have to be attached. That's how a body works. And if I pull off a part of my body and unattach it, it's, it's not going to receive from the rest of the body because it's detached. And then we wonder what's going on, and we wonder why all the problems have crept in, and we wonder why nobody cares, and we wonder where God's at. It's because we got detached somehow along the way. The enemy duped us into the thinking that the body of Christ is just not needed. In fact, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 20 kind of backs that up. It says, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all the parts form one body. So it is with Christ. Now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I didn't know I belonged to the body. Would it not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. Would it not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. They are all one part. Where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Many people, but one body. That's how Jesus looks down from heaven. If I could do anything to change the terminology, I would do away with the word church, and I would say congregations. Because Jesus has one church, but meets in many different congregations spread throughout the city and spread throughout the world. But we're one church, and so we've kind of did ourselves a disfavor in calling our ending church because it it makes us think that we're an island to ourselves and not connected to the other church down the street when in reality that's not how God sees things. When he's the head, he sees his church meeting in many different locations, and it's just different congregations with different flavors about how they express the body of Christ. Even the journey that they're on, you have some churches that probably cater to kindergartners in the faith, so to speak. They're coming in, and they're receiving new believers, and then you might have an elementary-type church that is taking new believers and and growing their faith to a level. Then you might have a high school-type church, that is a little bit more. And then you might have a college-based church that is really into theology and, and what it means to understand theology at a full level. And I don't know where we are. We're just trying to follow Jesus. But the fact is that you can have different types of churches at different types of levels. And sometimes we bash the elementary church because we think we're a high school church, and maybe we are, or a middle school church. God help us dealing with middle schoolers. And then, you know, we want to be college, but we need to be called to who God called us to be and be faithful to that and bless those other churches, those other congregations that maybe God has called them to a different distinction than the way he's called us. God help us if we were all the same. We get a choice in the matter but it's still the same head. It's still Jesus. Bodies are meant to be touched, handled, and held. (laughs) Bodies are meant to be touched, handled, and held. COVID accelerated something that many churches weren't doing before, and that is their online presence. And thank God for our online presence. And yet I realized that being in this room, and some of you have traveled for distances just to be in this room. Because it's, it's something that you value. It's something that you want to experience. And I recognize that people scattered out all over the place are connecting with this body. And again, I say it again, you, you need to make sure you're getting fellowship with somebody in your area, in your region. Otherwise, you just kind of feel alone. And yet we want to facilitate an online group that we have in mind to kind of take out of that aloneness. And so we're, we're working towards that. But bodies were meant to be touched and, and handled and held. In fact, uh, 1 John 1.4 talks about Jesus, his body. It says that from the very beginning that we have heard, we have seen with our eyes, we have looked at, and our hands have touched him. Jesus had a body that people could touch. And the body of Christ is a body that people can touch. People can interact. We get a hug when we need to. We get cried with when we need, we get laugh when we need to. It says this life appeared and we've seen it, we've testified to it and we proclaim it to you, this eternal life which was with the Father and appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. I write this to you that our joy may be complete. Finally, the body of Christ is meant for Unity. Unity in the body of Christ has the highest honor and greatest glory. When a body is gathered together for one purpose, that is to glorify Jesus. Hear what he has to say. Go out and do it. To be obedient for what he's spoken in that time, whether it's a personal time with God or a small group with God or a gathering like this, that we actually recognize that we're here to meet with God. I hope that you came to meet with Jesus this morning. Every once in a while, I hear folks say, I want to come and hear Bobby preach. And while I appreciate that, I kind of cringe a little bit to say, man, if you're coming here just to hear Bobby preach, you're probably going to be let down. You're probably going, I don't know if he said that right. I don't know if he, I don't know, I don't know what he meant by that. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. But if you come to worship Jesus, you'll excuse some of those flaws that I still have. And you'll say, you know what, I came here to worship the Lord. Yeah, I appreciate Pastor Bobby, and I appreciate Wanda, and I appreciate the worship team, and I appreciate the staff, but I've come here to worship the Lord. That should be your whole goal of coming and assembling together. We're here to worship Jesus. And that's what glorifies God when the body comes together. I want to give you this reality check and then talk about something that is uh, very vital for you to leave behind today. But the first introduction that Jesus has in the world is through the body of Christ. The first introduction that the world has to Jesus is through the body of Christ. That should put the fear of God in us. Not in a bad way, but in a good way. They're actually looking for a way of life that they can get out of the vices that the world has put them in. Do they find that in the church? Do they find that in the church? It's a question. But we have to understand that that's how God set this whole thing up. You know, people can have revelations of Jesus in their dream and that's happening. But... Even if, I've heard this from folks that minister to Muslims, even if that Muslim worshiper had a vision of Jesus, it oftentimes doesn't take until another person explains to them the gospel face-to-face. And then they remember, oh, I had a vision of him. But they weren't necessarily following or changed their lifestyle. But when another believer comes and shares the good news of what Jesus did for them, how he's knowable, he's, you can actually speak to him and, and hear back that he's alive. He's not dead. Suddenly they go, oh, yeah, I had a vision of him the other night. And then they receive Jesus and their life changes. So the body of Christ makes a difference. Today. And here's what I want to land. And that is, there may be some of you today that still have church hurt from past experiences. Maybe young, maybe a teenager, maybe just recently. That you were in a church, things happened. Maybe the pastor took it in a direction that was not in your taste. Maybe somebody offended you and something they did. Maybe maybe they were more filled with religion than relationship. Maybe they were more interested in doctrine than loving people. And you got hurt in that process. And you're still and you're still carrying that around you think about that past place that you were at and there's something that gets in your gut. I've experienced church hurt. Some of the most damaging things that have tried to come against me has happened in the church. But you know what? I'm free. Those people, those situation it's not in the forefront of my mind. It's not something I carry around to think about. It's nothing that triggers anymore. It's gone. So maybe you're carrying church hurt this morning. There's somebody that can help you get free of that. And his name is Jesus. Because Jesus carried church hurt. He looked at the leaders of the church of that day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and said, you guys are locking up the kingdom. You're not letting people get into the kingdom. You're putting this heavy burden on people, and they can't be free to know God as he is. He was upset. He got church hurt because of the leaders. Man, he had people that were loving him one moment and say, crucify him the next. Church hurt. He was out praying over the city of Jerusalem. It was supposed to be the shining place of of where God would dwell. Jerusalem, the city of God that David established. And he said, oh, how I long to gather you like a chick gathers his peeps underneath the wings and you won't gather. Jesus had enormous church hurt. But he settled it. He settled it on the cross and you can settle it today. He did one simple thing. He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And you can experience the same freedom today when you say that prayer from your heart. You can totally get free. Walk away from the church hurt that's following you around. I've done it. I've met with the Lord. I've gotten free. I don't carry church hurt anymore. I love the church. I love Jesus. I understand it's his body. I can't wait to gather, whether it's small or big, gather with the church to see what God's going to do. But if I have church hurt carrying around, I'm, I'm skeptical. I'm, I don't trust. I, I wonder if there's a place for me. That's church hurt. Still impacting how you think. Will you stand with me? If you're here this morning, And you say, you know, that's me. I'm still carrying church hurt. I want you to come. Come up to the front. We're just going to say a prayer together, and we're going to get free today. Maybe you need to have a conversation further, but you recognize, you know what? I got church hurt, but I want to leave it here today. I want to say that same prayer that Jesus prayed when he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Anybody else? Thank you, Father, for those. That recognize that it's still present in their life it's a great moment to get free and then to bask in the reality of being the body of Christ those standing with me would you just would you say with me Heavenly Father thank you for Jesus thank you that he set the example to get free of church hurt and so now in the name of Jesus I say Heavenly Father I forgive them they know not what they were doing I release them now I thank you God you're setting me free that I don't need to carry church hurt any longer but you can now set me free thank you for this moment of putting down that burden of how the enemy used it against me and now I declare myself free of church hurt to enter into more fullness in the body of Christ for the glory of Jesus Amen (laughs)